The Bain Free Radio Hour. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David F. Shirod. Today, we're asking if the truth is, in fact, out there and what those lights in the sky might be. They're not stars. They are UFOs or UAPs as they're known these days, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And in light of the recent congressional hearings, we felt this was a topic that we wanted to tackle here on the Bain Free Radio Hour. So we asked Sean Patrick Hazlett and a panel of authors to discuss these UAPs and what they might mean for all of us here on planet Earth. The rousing conversation went off in so many great and interesting directions that we are splitting it up into two parts over this week and the next. So here in just one moment, Sean Patrick Hazlett talks with Les Johnson, Robert E. Hampson, Joel Presby, and Patrick Childs. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. Today, I'm here with a number of science fiction authors, and we're going to discuss the recent UAP hearings that happened in Congress last week. And if you haven't heard about it, and I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't, there were a number of earth-shattering claims, I would say, if true, um, one of which is that the U.S., at some point has retrieved one or many partially intact and fully intact craft made by a non-human intelligence. Okay, so with that, I'm just gonna kind of do a little bit of a round robin, starting with Les about what they think is really going on here, i.e. is are these just claims by a madman? Is there some truth to this? Or is it part of some potentially disinfo, misinformation op that's trying to distract attention from something else. Again, wow, you open to everything. all these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, I mean those are you kind of all the possibilities, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess just, just real quick, as someone who has had a career building spacecraft, you know, from conceiving, designing, flying, I had one launch on Artemis 1, I've had some fly in the past. Um, you know, this whole notion of UAPs has fascinated me my whole life. Right. When I was uh, uh, middle school, high school, there were all the UFO and flying saucer sightings back in the day when they called it a UFO. And I was really enthusiastic. I read it. I read a lot of books, had all these scrapbooks and all the sightings. I kept a little scrapbook and all that. And then I got to college and started studying physics and astronomy and realized the distances and then graduate school in physics and realizing the radical improbability of, of things like that. And I put it all out of my head um, and kind of assumed that it was just, you know, fake or people not understanding what they see, but I had a tripwire. And that tripwire was when the military says they have data from multi-sensory military grade systems that they see something and they provide that data, then I will revisit the topic, right? And that tripwire was crossed a couple of years ago uh, with the release of things like the Tic Tac video and the, the sightings off the, the Nimitz and most recently, I think uh, one of the things I really want this group to talk a little bit about is the Mosul orb. And if you haven't seen that, you've got to see the video of the Mosul orb that was shot a few years ago. And so when I look at all that and I combine that with the congressional testimony where you had these experts come out and claim pretty amazing things that, you know, all the way from reverse engineering alien spacecraft to biological samples and there being, you know, secret programs to do that from these seemingly credible 
officers, some of which uh, former officers and, and, you know, not insignificant members of, you know, whatever organization they've been in, you have to listen. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to believe it, <laughs> but you have to, you have to pay attention to it, right? And, and so for me, when I put all that together, my answer to your question is, I think there's something that is being seen, some things. Yep. We don't know what it is. I think it's a stretch to leap and claim it's aliens. The, the claims of some of these people that the biological samples exist, I hope somebody's going to follow up and figure out, is that real, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think we've got to investigate this. We've got to figure out what it is. We need to take it seriously because if it's if it's terrestrial and it's not necessarily aliens, but this capability of what's being seen and discussed is actually, you know, of our adversaries, we're in trouble. Yeah, we're in big trouble. I mean, we're in like, big doo-doo. Bye-bye right? United States. Right. I mean, we're in real trouble. Um, maybe it's blue on blue. Maybe it's, you know, it's so secret our own people don't know about it and we're seeing it. And maybe it's something else. And and who knows what that something else is. When the congressman said he'd never heard of trans-dimensional beings, I had to wonder if I was watching an episode of the X-Files or U.S. Congress uh, having a discussion. I know that everybody else wants to chime in on this. But so my perspective is I'm trying to have an open mind. I, I'm not going to leap to the conclusion that it's all fake. I'm not going to leap to the conclusion that it's aliens. I'm going to leap to the conclusion that there's something there that we haven't identified. And by golly, I am really interested in finding out what it is. Patrick. Well, back to the original question. Uh, my answer might be all of the above. Uh, it, 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 it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility that, uh, um, you know, these are from somewhere other than our planet and operated by something uh, well they call it non-human intelligence um also entirely possible that the government is running some kind of misinformation op um could be all three and uh you know given the the state of current events i think it's highly likely there's some kind of info op going on mm -hmm. i wouldn't go so far as to say that they're making up the whole thing to bamboozle people um it's just you know, taking advantage of the situation to divert attention. Um, I, I honestly don't know where I come down on this. You know, I, for some philosophical and religious reasons, you know, I've never taken it, taken it too seriously. Um, to be perfectly honest, um, if there was some kind of non-human superintelligence, that would challenge, you know, a lot of my worldviews. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and, and say, well, that, that means it's all fake. Um, people are clearly seeing some things, and some of the videos are pretty compelling. You know, I've seen some of the competing videos debunking it, and um, I haven't done a lot of research into the debunkers, but people in the know say these guys are full of it. They don't really understand the systems they're talking about. Joel would certainly be able to talk about some of the sensor suites that the Navy um, was using in the Nimitz incident and, and some of the other ones. Um, so I'll absolutely defer to her on that one. And But, you know, you, you, you've got to think some of these people coming forward, they are really sticking their necks out there. So, um, you know, you got to think there's something, there's something to it. You know, part of me thinks, yeah, it could be that, that, 
we've achieved some technological breakthroughs, you know, material science um, and so forth that would enable us to deploy these kind of technologies. And for good reason, we want to keep it secret. You know, um, you know, I, I think it's entirely possible with like the Navy sightings, it could be intentional that, uh, you know, DOD had something and they wanted to test it against the fleet, you know, testing it in an operational environment and see how our guys reacted to it. Um, but given the technology behind it, oh my gosh, the, the, the leaps we would have had to make it. Uh, over to you, Rob and Les. <laughs> so, so two quick things that Patrick said that I want to stick a pin in because I definitely want to, he raised some questions on two key areas. The first, you talked about a potential change in worldview, mm -hmm. i.e. ontological shock. Rob, I definitely make sure that we cover that before okay. this interview ends, because I'm definitely interested in the neurological components of that. And then Joel, the comment about the sensors and systems of the US Navy, I definitely do not let this interview end before you comment on that. So let's go to Joel first, and then we'll go to Rob in terms of answering that first question. All right. Um, so it was it was really interesting to for me to hear a more direct report of I see it was um, former commander David Prever, the Navy pilot from the mm -hmm. Tic Tac 2004 incident, because I had heard of that many times through you know fourth or sixteenth hand information. It, it just gets talked about. Did you believe it when they told you that before all this stuff came out? I, I believe that that the pilots had seen something. Mm -hmm. um it it's a thing to me is if it were our own work and it had been tested i have confidence that if it was within the military the active duty military somebody would have pulled them aside and said okay you cannot talk about this for these reasons and it would have been wrapped up and and he would not have been testifying to congress it would not have been talked about regularly of you can't believe this thing they say this happened and he's a real you know stand-up guy in other areas I don't think he made it up I don't think he has a mental health crisis which is you know those are the kind of reasons that people would not want to report on something because they don't want to lose their career they love flying but they saw something they can't explain but on the other hand the government doesn't always talk to itself. Mm. So it's not completely unbelievable to me that somebody else in the United States government did something or that a, a part of the army was testing something, but it involved the, the tic-tac coordinating with whatever was making that wake under the ocean. And so they didn't want to tell the Navy about it because then they would lose the funding or whatever's going on. The, I, I'm really not sure about aliens, but one thing that that I became convinced of after watching the whole Senate testimony is that somebody's using money outside of the authorization from Congress. And there's probably a number of people who will ultimately be called onto the carpet to explain themselves and whether or not they're gonna face charges and go to prison for a misappropriation of funds will depend on 
who else in the government knew about it and maybe quietly approved or didn't. Yeah, and so to me, the biggest surprise was that it's coming out publicly that, that there's been a significant amount of fraud. Could, could I interject something here? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, because something just came to mind that I remember reading a, a few years ago and um, that the Navy had patented some kind of propulsion technology in the, the vehicle, you know, looked like a Tic Tac. So, you know, my memory could be a little fragmented on that. So, you know, um, anybody here or in the audience that wants to go do some Google Foo and look that up, I'm sure it's still out there. So, you know, I don't know what kind of conclusions you could draw from that, that, uh, okay, yeah, they had something that they're deciding to release in drips or they reverse engineer an alien spaceship and now they took the patent. Yeah, or they saw this, you know, these, these craft and are trying to reverse engineer something based on the principles that may have based resulted in that sort of a, yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, Rob, what's your take on all this? <laughs> um, so I often get asked if I believe in aliens in the first place. And my answer is, as a longtime science fiction fan, I want to believe there's an intelligence out there. Uh, but seeing as my field is, you know, what constitutes human intelligence, what constitutes our, our consciousness and memory and the like, uh, it, it starts getting into some very gray areas in terms of, uh, you know, is this a consciousness? Is this an intelligence as we know it? And I usually revert to aliens are going to be aliens. Um, and so if this is indeed a non-terrestrial intelligence, we're going to have our work cut out for us trying to figure that out because frankly, uh, motivations and, and everything else is going to be quite opaque to us. Now, I am old enough and grew up in an area of Eastern Pennsylvania where we had a landmark on top of a mountain that was often referred to as a UFO attractor. And there were always mysterious lights on top of South Mountain in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, now, uh, uh, Bethlehem Steel had a uh, research complex with a large observation uh, mm -hmm. deck on top of a tower there. And it seemed as if there were always mysterious lights. And I'm always hearing about this. And my dad would talk about driving, um, driving home and looking up and seeing what there's some weird lights there. Uh, I had a uh, had an uncle who was a true believer, and he worked at White Sands Missile Base, mm -hmm. and he said, "You wouldn't believe the stuff I've seen." Uh, you know, so when it comes to what we're seeing and hearing, I actually fall back on something a, a story my dad had told. He worked in uh, uh, jet engine repair. Uh, so he was working on the metallurgical sciences and engineering in high temperature metals, uh, high speed metals, for that matter. And he would always be talking about, you know, we got this contract, we got that contract. And then he said, we got the weirdest parts in. He said, they don't match anything they're supposed to match. And near as I could tell, 
this device is designed to operate at supersonic speeds inside an engine. And this was the 70s. And he's saying there's stuff coming into repair uh, in, into into repair streams that don't fit any known design. And so one of the things we always talked about in my family is, is there tech out there nobody's talking about? And the answer to that is almost frankly, yeah, almost always, yeah. yes. Right. Frankly, we hope there is. We hope there's <laughs> yeah. tech that nobody's talking about because yeah. and uh, that it's ours. <laughs> Because surprise it's is what, <laughs> yeah. you know, strategic surprise is what's supposed to happen to the other guys. Um, yeah. And um, the F-117, the U-2, the SR-71, those were all flying operationally for years before we finally acknowledged them. In, in some cases, I think, I think the SR-71 had been flying for a decade right. before we admitted to it. Um, and and the other thing is, as a long-term, long-time science fiction reader, there are physical phenomena. I mean, there are there are uh, techniques and tricks of physics that can provide lift and propulsion that are so very, very different. And I'm thinking two in particular: Kawanda effect and Magnus effect. Which uh, Kawanda effect is airflow over a saucer basically up top, up top over a saucer and out the rim outward from the rim of a saucer type shape and then the magnus effect is you basically take a large ball a beach ball and spin it and you can get lift off of these things and so when i put together that i know there's some weird physics tricks that we can do for lift propulsion and 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 uh, uh, buoyancy, you know, and 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 maneuverability. To with, I've been, you know, in groups that talk about strategic supply and surprise, and always withholding the best that you can do from certain, you know, certain elements of your reporting chain and from the public. That my thoughts almost always go not to aliens. I'm not saying it's aliens. Just, <laughs> just to throw that in there. Is, am I, uh, Do we uh, have that meme handy to throw up? <laughs> we should. Not we aliens. Should. Really yeah. mean. Yeah. I don't we have the hair can, for it. Otherwise, can, I'd be happy. I'm not it. saying it's aliens. We can it's have aliens. David talk, right when I said that and flash it and then, right. But Should we all the, put on our hands at once so we can screen capture this? <laughs> Yeah, well, we should do that at the end. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Rob, I think you hit on something. I think you and Patrick and, and Joel did. You know, the 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 most likely explanation for a lot of this is that it's ours, right? And that it's some black program. When you mentioned that you you know the Navy stuff with the the aircraft carrier, you know, it could have been them just trying to see if our own systems could see it. That's one of the first things that came to my mind is this mm -hmm. is something they were testing, and what what's better test than to go and and see if the best of the best of the conventional stuff can be seen. However. That's been a long time now, yeah. and um, you have to wonder: are, are they going to keep testing and keeping this secret that long? How long can you keep a secret? And uh, especially if you're building some operational stuff, it's eventually going to get out, right? Experimental stuff you can probably keep secret for a while, but how long is it going to be experimental, and, and when does it cross the line? And oh, we've experimented enough, and we've you know spooked enough people in cornfields that we need to 
you know, go ahead and make this system something real. Well, Our society is horrible at keeping secrets. Mm -hmm. See, that's, as you that's look the at, flip side of it. As you look at this craft, or at least the behavioral, not behavioral, but the flight characteristics of it, and you had to come up with an explanation for how the propulsion system works, just very loosely without getting into detail, what would you, what would be your go-to? Which one? <laughs> the tic tac the tic tac the tic tac the, the considering it went if, if we're talking about that one and it went if this is the one i think that went from airborne to seaborne or is that a different one well it descended eighty thousand feet in an exceedingly short period of time in like in a second, yeah. Couple of seconds. yeah I, then, it, then it made it 60 miles away to their cap point almost instantly. which was classified which was classified yeah. right. and, and now can i can i say that 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 one makes me wonder too okay on the one hand if it's space aliens or whatever, super non-human intelligence, yeah, they could easily be reading our mail. On the other hand, if it was the military running an op for test kind of thing and their new technology against, you know, regular Navy, they're going to know where their cap points are. You know, they could, they could easily be talking to the, you know, commander of the battle group or whatever. Um, again, it, anyway, sorry to interrupt, but it's, ADD and these thoughts pop into my head I haven't considered for a while. Well, there's and another interesting point that I want to raise. Like, how do we know, and Joel will be able to maybe answer this, how do we know it was actually a solid object? Like, what about some sort of advanced holographic technology that they're testing? Is that within the realm of possibility? Or are there too many radar returns and things like that? To, uh, for that the to be fact a possibility? that it was difficult to image would support it being potentially not entirely solid. Um, it, it's really hard to guess. Um, these pilots saw it. Um, they were able to get it on some sensors, but not all sensors. And when- No heat signature with, either, right? Right. Yeah. And a heat sensor, the lack of a heat signature, again, supports the idea of Perhaps it's a hologram of some kind. Yeah, you know, it also, wait a minute, there's also all kinds of advanced technologies I could conceive of for a novel. Yeah. <laughs> that that <laughs> would be would be really hard to get a good image of an object. And, and especially if you have something that is is somehow manipulating the space-time around it. Like, you know, if you, mm -hmm. if these people had come up with like Alcubier drives for, for interstellar travel, who knows what that kind of, you know, what that would do in the atmosphere. Is this thing really cold? You know, but when you say there was no heat signature, was there any kind of temperature sensor at all? What was it not just ambient? Was it cold? I I, I don't know. Um, I, I would want all kinds of multispectral data on it to, to really try to narrow down on on what you were seeing. And I'm not jumping to the conclusion. I'm not jumping to the conclusion that it's, you know, aliens. I'm it's just aliens. Saying, I'm not saying that, it's aliens. That, that, that everybody, you know, wants to, to leap to and if you have a propulsion system that can do what we saw, all right, in atmosphere with friction in the air, right, and move that fast and get from point A to point B with that kind of maneuverability, and you combine that with some of the other videos we've seen where the shape of the objects are different and they're doing things that are not aerodynamic at all, mm -hmm. right, um, then you've got a capability that's going to enable us not just even if it is blue on blue, I mean, we're going to be using that everywhere. We're going to be using that in space. We're going to be using it all over. I, I can see 
all kinds of spinoff applications that aren't military related once it's out in the wild. Right. And Unless, a, oh, go ahead. Yeah, what? As writers, the, the thing that feels just wrong about all this is it's just like, if it is aliens, they're poking us with a stick and then they're going away. That is boring. We need more interesting aliens. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're not treating there, us with respect. There, Where's the invasion? <laughs> I, I, have seen, I have seen a really interesting perspective on this. Um, I, and I have to admit, I, I found a way to weave it into the novel. I finished at 2.17 this morning. Um, about <laughs> aliens observing us and monkeying around with us because on like an anthropological expedition, you know, observing remote tribes in the Amazon or whatever, who's out there doing their observing and doing the grunt work, the graduate students. And <laughs> they're bored and maybe somebody uh, got some booze smuggled in and they go on a bender one night and decide to start screwing around with the locals. And so that's what it is. We're being we're, also looking around with my alien grad students. Also, grad students don't have the latest and greatest technology. I mean, you 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 stick a grad student in a 74 Chevy that has an overheating problem and say, go out in the Mojave and pick up these samples. And they're stuck by the side of the road with an overheating 74 Chevy and the and the locals are driving past saying, who are these nuts? And they just, I mean, that's the sort of thing that we professors do to grad students anyway. So it, and it would you, explain the crashes, right? Yeah, I would was explain the say, that would explain the crash rate. Okay, because, okay, I'm putting my professional aviation safety guy hat on. The accident rate for these aliens is alarming. And, you know, <laughs> You know, what, whatever. Well, how um, would you how would you know that, though? Right. Yeah, you would well, have to know how many okay, flights and sorties there are. And based on the rumors. Yeah. You know, there'd have to be a whole heck of a lot of, of activity going on over our heads and around us that we can't see that we're not aware of. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at, at how many crash spacecraft appear to be out there. But, you know, I, I wanted to. I wanted to to bring up something too that struck me about these hearings last week you know because I think we you know we all have a lot of ideas um granted okay it was it was an open hearing you know they weren't a skiff or anything like that so they're not going to you know bring out pictures or here's the alien body but it was it was a lot of talking about spectacular things and um you know but again, we still haven't we we haven't seen any proof. You know, there's stories of recovered spacecraft. You know, um, debris. Um, you know, like what they say, biologics, and I assume in some cases maybe whole bodies. I don't know. It's also disturbing to me that the the that he said there he knew of cases where individuals had been injured or killed either by the non-human intelligence or by the government to keep it quiet. I don't know which one is more alarming. But, you know, again, we, we need to see evidence. These are all great stories. And yeah, it makes the X-Files look like a documentary now. But, you know. That's actually a, a good question. So, Rob, I think you wanted to touch a little bit of... Yeah, I, I did, because 
when we start talking about information, evidence, and interpretation, that gets into my field. Um, Les already mentioned his tripwire, which is when you see uh, multi-instrumental data. Uh, the problem that we run into is with unclear imaging, we can't, um, we are still left with uh, Mark I eyeball for analysis. And the Mark I eyeball is too easily fooled. The, 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 the defining characteristic of the human visual system is that it takes partial information and completes it. Uh, most of the time, we don't see any, anyone who's ever looked at optical illusions and, and all the printed version, optical illusion. You look at one point, it's two faces looking at each other. You stare at it long enough, it's a candlestick. There, there's all sorts of things like that. Our human brain does interpretations where something that appears to be going from 80,000 feet down to sea level, uh, what is that based on? Is that based on a radar return or is that based on a perception that something that was really, really small and far away is now suddenly very close? Well, you actually can do that with inflation. You, If the object gets larger, if it has a way to make it its appearance look larger, then, uh, then the human visual system can interpret that as either going small to large or going from far to near. And the same thing goes with these absolute 90 degree turns and physics defying turns and maneuvers that we are only seeing them in two dimensions. We're only seeing them in two dimensions with our eyes uh, looking at the optics. We're really only seeing them in two dimensions even with our radar returns and other sensor returns. If we had to look down at the same time would we find that what we really had was a sensor jitter that made it that it really was over here in the first place, but we were still locked into an after image of the of the device, you know, of the of, of the object changing. Now you get around that with good multi-sensor data and the in in things like um, if we had a good radar return that was giving us actual speeds, if we had a triangulation camera system that says, yes, it really did go from moving away from you in this direction to moving away in that direction, that really was a 90 degree turn. But for so much of what we have in the sensory, in the human sensory realm, we we tend to jump to conclusions based on how our visual system uh, interpolates incomplete data. And does so- any, Does anyone know if the sensor returns that we had received for either of these two cases, the 2004 Tic Tac case, or the, I think it was a 2015 USS Roosevelt on the East Coast, if there were radar returns that would, not just radar returns, FLIR sensors, anything that would triangulate the data to minimize the risk of Mark One eyeball. I think the I think the um, I think the fighter pilots had some parallax. 
but I don't know how much. And you see, and that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about the parallax, uh, where where you get it from. You're you're observing from different angles. Go ahead, Joel. From this report, um, the the fighter pilot was was very careful in how he presented the information that he and his his buddy had sightings of it and had it on their own sensors, and then they lost contact, and it was a, it was identified at the other point um so oh it was more than just seeing it there were instrumentation data to corroborate it but they they lost <laughs> they didn't have instrumentation data for the entire transition get it i got it and so you could assume that it was one thing that went all the way or there could be something else going on i think the maybe the only thing that because I, I totally understand, Rob, what you're saying about the about the perception. Um, I think the, the one that sticks with me is where they had visual on it and then it disappeared. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, reappeared at their at their cap point, something like 60 miles away, um, almost instantaneously. And you know what I wonder about with that, and, and, and you guys that are way smarter on physics than I can uh, maybe help is. If, if it's a physical object moving that fast in the atmosphere, how is it not generating a heck of a lot of heat? Or sonic boom. Yeah, that thing too. <laughs> but they would not have, there were not entities in position to detect a sonic boom for that particular incident. So there could have been and nobody heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it, that's, that's why <laughs> the... Multi-sensor, multi-sensory data is so important, is we have to have, to, it, at the point where we confirm or, or uh, you know, disprove these devices, it's going to be because we've had sensors locked on them that get away from human visual interpretation. And I want to point out one more thing about sensors. Um, we design our sensors for the things that we think we're going to use them for. And so when there's something that is not acting in the way that our adversaries' missiles act, our adversaries' aircraft act, and we are trying to track it, it is not surprising that our sensors are bad at getting good data at it, that that something goes outside the, the range and we've lost contact because that's not what that sensor is made to do. Our electronic processing of the data will take things and say that's obviously noise and delete it because that's what it's made to delete things that are supposed to be noise. Well, and one of the best examples of that was the early nuclear detection monitors, gamma ray burst monitors that were on satellites in Earth orbit. They start. They they fired those up to test for the to look for the characteristic signature of an adversary, the Soviets detonating an atom bomb somewhere, and they were starting to get signals like once a day mm -hmm. that, that that somebody was setting off a bomb, and they'd go investigate, and there was nothing there, and they finally realized that the data was not coming from the Earth; it was coming from out there, and so the DoD had evidence of these things called gamma ray bursts, like a decade before they told the astronomers. <laughs> <laughs> and then that gave a whole it gave birth to a whole new field of of you know high energy astronomy, which led to 
the gamma ray burst monitor being flown and all that. And, and it was because they weren't expecting that data. They were looking for one thing down and about. They got something else. They didn't know what to do with it, so they kept it quiet because the sensors were secret. And then finally, it got to the point where they could tell the public. So it could very well be something similar here. Hey, I wanted to take this a slightly different way, Patrick, because I, I'm, let me be a cynic here, all right? You know, the public has been made aware of the capabilities of generative AI for half a year. And, you know, we've seen really compelling videos of people making speeches that they never made. Uh, people having their voices sampled, saying things on audio that they've never really said. And it sounds really convincing. And Hollywood wants to, you know, keep, uh, you know, uh, Tom Cruise looking like he's 35 until he's 140. Um, I mean, that, that's just what they want to do, right? And it, it's possible that this capabilities existed in military systems or secret systems for a while now. And so some of these videos and things we're seeing could have been just totally faked by somebody who intentionally wanted to fake something. And if I were a deep state actor and I wanted to discredit a whole series of congressional hearings, what better way to do it than to put something totally wacko in there, get everybody to believe that, and then come out and say, look, I was just you know, doing a disinformation campaign and these idiots believed it. So how can you believe anything else they're having hearings on? And so if I were writing a political thriller, I would have the, the Louis Strauss character from the Oppenheimer movie uh, orchestrating a massive disinformation campaign in a political move. And, and so, you know, this whole disinformation thing could, could, could be something to it. This is a distraction. Excuse take me, our minds off. Notes. What's that? To, to, excuse to what me, end though? I'm taking notes. <laughs> to what end though, Les? I'm getting Les, ready to, to what end though? I, 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 mean, I don't I'm know. Stealing I mean, your ideas, Les. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not well, inconsistent. That, but that's kind of where my head goes, you know. Like, it's, I, 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 yeah, I like it's a disinformation campaign. Yeah, I like it's discredit. and techno thriller, you know, type stuff, and so that's always an element. But you know, I mean, not to veer into other current events discussions, but you know. The more time goes on, honestly, the the less I trust just about anything I read. You know, and if and if, if I see everybody marching one way with a narrative, you know, now I immediately identify. Okay, that's a narrative. That's not really what's going on. So let's look at what. Let's try to triangulate from clues of what's really going on here, because this is the thing they obviously want us to believe. You know, that's why. Like, that's that, that's why there's something different about this whole thing and that is when when those sorts of things happen patrick mm -hmm. you have the new york times washington post msnbc fox news cnn like just reporting 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 right and if let's just say just for a second let's say some of this stuff is actually true this would literally be the most important story in human history and they're not even remotely interested in it mm -hmm. that's that's where this disinformation I, I thesis no, I, is, I, yeah. I disagree with you it's, it's not 24-hour reporting but i have seen this covered on every major media outlet conservative to liberal to unidentifiable to whatever i mean i, I was before this call i was actually googling you know, various things. And I was seeing reports from almost every major news service that, that, that covered something about this. Now, granted, it hasn't been 24-7 in-your-face headlines, and, but because I don't think there's enough there for them to do that yet, not until we have, you know, Gort on the White House lawn. 
you know, like, uh, it's like we're talking about a few minutes ago. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of really intriguing, compelling testimony. But that's all it is at this point. That's all it is. That's right. It, it does concern me that some of these congressmen have been, uh, you know, their their inquiries have been shut down. You know, they've they've been denied access to to information that they've that they've requested. Um, that certainly makes it look like something is being hidden. But going back to you know. Are they actually hiding something or do they want us to make make us think they're hiding something? You know? Are they hiding the money or are they also hiding aliens? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is to what end though? So if you were to create this elaborate disinformation campaign, what would be, I mean, even if you were to, if your aim was to discredit the Congress, to what end, though? Like, what would you be attracted? What, you, what would your strategic objective be? What would you be? Trying I think to you want to get people to tune out what's going on and what's really happening. If they're so crazy, believe they're little green men. I'm not going to listen to whatever they say. They're just crazy people. Up there. And that actually ties in with the threats, the the stories that we that came out of this as well. The hearings, you know, people were threatened that they must keep silent. Well, if you want somebody to talk about to to talk about something. You tell them don't talk about it. And on the one hand, threats will cause people to not report what they might think is legitimate data. And then what happens is then you don't know what's legitimate and what's not. What is, and, and I'm not saying anything illegitimate about the data, but you don't know where, you don't know if complete sensor information is out there because someone felt that they couldn't talk about it. You know, it, it, uh, is, there, is there something that would definitively say it's ours? Is it terrestrial origin, someone else's, or non-terrestrial origin? If, you know, there could be a complete data set, a complete sensor suite that would tell us something, but if people feel that, that there's a threat against them coming out with it, then they're going to hide that, and then the and then the entire story becomes well, we just don't know because we just don't have enough. You know, we don't have, you know, we don't have the smoking gun. We don't have the the Gort standing on the White House lawn. Latu Barada Nikto, man. But you have to get the saying right, or else you get zombies. So, sometimes I wonder if this is all. Information battlefield prep. Yeah, um, you know, mm -hmm. obviously, if it is real, you know, we we there's enough of the population that already believes it's real. Are the rest of us being conditioned to accept that it actually is, you know, and that there's some or is not? Real. Or I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, or, or is, is not. not? Yeah, yeah. And now we bring you our audiobook serialization of Tinker by Wynn Spencer. Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business, pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the Elven Court, the NSA, the Elven Interdimensional Agency, technology smugglers, 
and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss. Tinker! Tinker! What is it? She blinked awake and realized she was in Windwolf's arms, his head on her shoulder, and his scent on her lips. It's the EIA, Oilcan whispered through the window. They're checking citizen papers. Do you have yours? Yeah, hold on. She slid out of Windwolf's loose hold to the floor. Someone banged on the trailer door, hard, making the whole back wall rattle. Who the hell is out there? The jolly green giant? All three are big guys. Oilcan's face was visible only from his eyes up, but it was a portrait of fear. Border guards spooking Oilcan? What time is it? Where are we? Six blocks from the rim? It's five minutes to start up. And they're EIA border guards? Something didn't ring true, and she glanced about for a weapon. Give me a minute, she shouted. I'm, I'm getting dressed. Windwolf's shoulder holster and pistol sat by the work table. She reloaded the pistol quickly, looped the holster into place, and pulled on a jacket over it. She unbolted the door and swung it open. Here, she held out her citizen papers. Some estimated the elfin population to be a billion for the entire planet. Others thought there might be as few as a few hundred million. No human knew, and the elves guarded the information closely. Regardless, the elves had allowed displaced humans to remain only on certain conditions specified in the peace treaty. All humans judged criminal or insane in nature were banished, and immigration was to be by elf approval only. While many people fled living on an alien planet under control of an alien race, the benefits outweighed the negatives for many people. Non-existent unemployment, cheap housing, and a blissfully unspoiled planet proved too much of a lure for many. A brisk trade of smuggling immigrants existed. The responsibility of controlling it fell to the Earth Interdimensional Agency, EIA. The border guards usually hugged the border, since anyone afoot within the rim made the trip to Elfholm. This close to midnight, they should be at the fence, catching the last desperate few, and then calling it a night as startup made all things moot. Six blocks away from the rim, with only five minutes left, was setting off alarms. They were big men, all three Nathan Chernowski's size, which was odd in humans. The largest one seemed to be the leader. He took her ID but dismissed it and her in a glance. Nor did he hand it back. She noticed that he also had oil cans papers. Check the trailer, the leader told the smallest guard, although that was a relative small. See if the little bird was right. Get the car, he ordered the remaining guard, who moved off into the night. I want to be gone when this is done. The smallest guard grabbed the doorframe and levered himself up into the trailer, barely squeezing through the door. His nose worked like a dog's. It smells like a slaughterhouse in here. We're transporting a wounded elf. Tinker backed away from him, keeping out of range of an easy grab. We're taking him to the hospice as soon as startup happens. Wargs chewed him up. 
He got blood everywhere. That's what you smell. She sniffed to see if it was really that noticeable and caught his scent. Smoke and sandalwood. The guard saw Windwolf. His eyes narrowed, and he grinned savagely. He is here, he rumbled to the leader, laid out like the dead, easy prey. Do them all, the leader ordered, quietly. Tinker yanked out the pistol, sliding between the guard and Windwolf. Don't touch him. Touch him and I'll shoot you. Get back. Get out. Tinker? Oil Can asked quietly in the startled silence that followed, and then started the flatbed's engine. I don't know what you're doing, but you'd better do it quick. The one outside just waved down some kind of backup in an unmarked car. The smallest guard started to move toward her, and she fired a warning shot over his shoulder. He jerked backward like it had hit him. Get out! She fought to keep her voice firm. This is your last chance. Go! Amazingly, the small guard tumbled out of the trailer, almost onto the leader, and they both scrambled away. She'd never felt so huge before. She slammed the door, bolted it, and raced back across the trailer, yelling, Drive, drive, drive! The flatbed lurched forward, roaring up through first. Tinker, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. The car is cutting me off. Oh, shit! A black sedan had raced past them on the left and was swinging right to cut them off. Oil can was already slowing down when Tinker hit the window. She slid through the window, down into his lap, and jammed her foot down on top of his. Just go, she shouted. Shift! Swearing, Oil can stomped down on the clutch, threw the truck into second, and let up on the clutch. Watch the car! I am watching it! she shouted, nailing the gas pedal to the floor. The big truck leapt forward, caught the sedan at the front bumper, and smashed it aside. The flatbed shuddered at the impact and then shrugged it off, roaring forward. They had been down a side street and needed to turn onto Center Avenue to reach the border. They were going too fast, though, for her to turn the truck alone. Help me turn! Together, they cranked the steering wheel through the sharp right turn onto Center Avenue. There was a stop sign on the other side of the intersection. They mounted the curb, flattened the sign, and swung through the rest of the turn. That was a stop sign, Tink, Oil Can complained. Yes, it was, she growled. Will you shut up? I'm thoroughly pissed off, and I don't need you complaining to me. They hadn't hit the sedan hard enough. It came sweeping up behind them, front panel gone and showing undercarriage. The flatbed topped second gear. Shift, Tink called, easing minutely up on the gas. Oil can clutched and shifted up to third. The sedan took the moment to leap ahead, veering into their path again. Fuck them, Tink growled and elbowed oil can in the stomach as he started to turn the wheel. She stomped on the gas and the flatbed roared straight at the sedan. Eat this. She hadn't grown up in the scrapyard without knowing the strength of the vehicle under her. Built heavy enough to carry over 10 tons, backed with a 250-horsepower engine, it was a close cousin to a bulldozer. She aimed at the sedan's back panel, knowing that the car would pivot on its engine block. The sedan spun like a child's toy as they hit, 
The narrow strip of no man's land of the rim was now only a block before them. Beyond it was a tall chain-link fence and the Oakland of Earth rising up in full glory. Oh, shit, it's not start-up yet, Tinker cried. Two more minutes, Oil Can said. Damn. Tinker slammed the brakes. The big truck fought her more than when she'd hit the car, the wheels locking up, slewing them sideways. She sent up a quick prayer that the bolts on the trailer held. Oil Can yelped and caught the clutch before the engine stalled out. What are we going to do? The guards were swarming forward to intercept her the moment they stopped. Behind them, the sedan was gamely straightening out. Shift, Tinker said. Shift to what? Reverse. She shoved his hand aside and worked the gear shift into reverse. Hold on. They started backward, gathering speed. She watched her side mirrors as the sedan this time scrambled out of the way. The flatbed shot past its bumper by inches. Would they chase? No, they seemed confused. A minute, Oil Can intoned. A block, two, four blocks, and she said, Okay, let's stop. They shifted back to first and sat, their feet arrayed across all the pedals. Far off, so faint Tinker barely heard it over the rumble of the flatbed engine, came the ringing of St. Paul's bells. This is it, Oil Can breathed. One hopes, Tinker said. Void. The odd sense of falling without moving. All the streetlights flickered out, and only their headlights cut the sudden darkness. The chain-link fence in Oakland vanished. The primal forests of Elfhome and the elfin enclaves lining the border took their place. The aurora effect gleamed directly overhead, dancing along the gate's curving veil. Let's go! Tinker nailed the gas pedal. The gate remained closed. The guards, gathered to watch her wild driving, scattered, except one fool waving like he thought she'd stop. Tinker reached up, caught the pull on the air horn, and blared her intention to barrel through. Said fool took the warning. The gate was wood, and it sheared off with a sharp crack. The enclaves on either side of the road formed a chute of tall stone walls, 300 feet in length, and then they plunged into the dark woods. She had driven the road before, knew it to be a straight path. Roads on Elfhome were mostly fitted stone, following ley lines, acting as both road and power source. Unlike the wide berm multi-lane highways of Earth, they were more like paths. Branches scraped along the roof of the trailer and threatened to take out her mirrors. Tinker leaned up. See if you can check Windwolf. I don't have him strapped down back there. Oil can slid out from under her, squeezed through the window, and called, He's fine. There are cars coming. Really? Imagine that. The side mirrors polarized to keep the car's headlights from blinding her completely. I see them. We're in shit trouble, Tink. I know. She was determined not to be sidetracked into being upset. We get through this, and then I'll worry about the mess. The hospice was two miles in. Luckily, the road remained too narrow for the EIA cars to try cutting them off. She geared down to make the turn into the hospice parking lot, swung the flatbed around, and backed up to the hospice's door as the EIA cars swarmed about her like gnats, hemming the truck in on the sides and front. A moment later, 
and EIA men clung to every surface of the truck, pointing guns at her through the windows. Tinker raised her hands. They hit her with a police override, and the door locks thunked up. They jerked the door open. I've got a wounded elf in, she started to say, but finished with a yelp of surprise as they plucked her out of the seat. Tinker, oil can shouted from the back. There's a wounded elf in back, she said. They pushed her up against the flatbed's hot hood, face down, and twisted her hands behind her back. Pain flared from her wounded hand. She couldn't bite back the cry of hurt. Tinker! Oil can threw open the back door and was yanked down himself. A moment later, he was slammed up against the hood beside her. She's hurt, he growled. Be careful with her. There were elves among the men. She could hear the rapid bark of elvish. A man was leaning his weight into her back while frisking her. She's got a shoulder holster on, the man shouted in warning. They've got a pistol someplace. The gun. Where had she dropped it? It was lost in a blur of events. He reached her pants pockets and started to upload them onto the high hood. Damn, she's carrying a household. We haven't done anything except protect our patient, Tinker said, trying to turn to face him. Shut up, punk. He pulled her backwards and then slammed her against the hood again. Leave her alone, Oil Can shouted. The guard turned, nightstick upraised. Tinker shouted wordlessly in protest. Then everything went silent and still. An elf had hold of the nightstick, and there were others, armed and hard-eyed, ringing them. They're not to be harmed, the elf said in low elvish. Wolf who rules has placed them under his protection. Nykonane, Mr. Nightstick said, slurring the word as if he'd learned the phrase by rote. I do not understand. They have brought Wolf who rules here to be cared for, the elf clarified in low elvish. He asked me to protect the young humans. I will not let them be harmed. What's he saying? Mr. Nightstick asked the woman beside him. He's saying hands off the kids or we'll break your face. Get the cuffs off them. That was another installment in Win Spencer's Tinker, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judgewitz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to our panel today, and be sure to tune in next week for part two of the discussion. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof booth somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy, and keep reaching for the stars.